This is an appeal on behalf of the Limehouse Podcast. This podcast needs your help. It needs your reviews. It needs them on iTunes. It needs you to go to iTunes and give the show a five-star rating. And it needs you to do it now. For if you don't, then what happens in Stranger Things will happen here on Earth. Please enjoy the rest of the show, but do, do please visit the Limehouse podcast on iTunes and deliver a five-star rating. It goes such a very long way to furthering the show's progress and, in the long run, your enjoyment. Goodbye, and thank you so very much. Hola, yo soy Margarita y estás escuchando Limehouse Podcast. This is Paddy Ashdan and you're listening to The Limehouse Podcast. What a good name that is. Hi, I'm Tom Brake and this is The Limehouse Podcast. Hello, this is Nick Clegg and you're listening to The Limehouse Podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Because I'm not persuaded by the case for war. This is what positive politics can do. Hello and welcome back to the Limehouse Podcast. This is your host, William von Winkel von Bockenstocken. And I'm I'm pretty happy, as you can tell. I've, I'm, I'm fresh as a daisy. I'm back from Andalusia, where I had a beautiful honeymoon with my beautiful wife. Southern Spain is incredible. Countryside, yes. Beautiful cities, yes. Sun, yes. Speed limits, yes, but the roads are of good quality. That's what I've got to say about southern Spain and the people and food and wine. Everything is amazing. But if you um, if you go on the website, I've written a little uh, travel diary, actually. It's not a travel diary. It's a summary of my trip. And, of course, the address for the new website is thelimehousepodcast.com. And I, I hope you like it. I've also written a bit of a review about the interview that I'm bringing you this freaking week. That's right, guys. We've got Joe Swinson lined up. Some might refer to her as Joe Swindon. I've heard that she does get male like that. So that's that's the comedy out of the way. The The interview's really great. I mean, I, I really sincerely mean that. It, it, we Obviously, we, we've had a, a very awkward week uh, and disturbing week. It's Jared O'Mara, it's, you know, Weinstein, but that's been rumbling on for a little while now. Um, and I, I suppose we definitely traversed that landscape of, of shit. I mean, not necessarily within the Lib Dems, although obviously there was Lord Renard and we had that that problem. Uh, the Lib, Lib Dems had that problem. I don't really know what, to be honest, I don't know really what happened there. I mean, I know he was a bit of a douchebag. I don't think he was even asked to quite a party but i'm not too sure but anyway some of you will know and you can just tweet me and, and let me know what, what what happened with lord renard someone tell me i can't be bothered to look it up on google i'd rather hear it from one of you guys because you're beautiful and you can always do that can't you because you know where to do that on twitter it's at limehouse pod at limehouse pod that's correct so yeah the, the interview it was good yeah we touched on those 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 topics 
And we also just talked a little bit about her um, journey into politics. But really, we did start the interview talking about uh, Friends, um, the TV show, and of course, Neighbours, which is just one of those things that just keeps coming up. And again, the TV show. We didn't talk about our neighbours. Yeah, anyway. So... I think you're going to you're going to take a lot from it because this is someone who is a, a, a normal human being. There's that she's not boring. She hasn't got a, a she's got a political agenda. Of course, she's a deputy deputy leader of um, you know the third largest party in the House of Commons. So yes, she does have an agenda, but she's 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 a human being and she's she's good with it. She's not like your boring people out there. There are some very boring politicians that I've talked to on and off mic that send you to sleep in a really bad way and she just kept me awake I think she'll keep you awake anyway this is the interview before I bring it to you I do want to ask you to yes review the show on iTunes it really does help I've um I've been trying to book guests for uh for December and and it's it's, it's actually kind of getting really hard obviously there's a lot of competition out there guys and we need to get up the ratings. We need to, to show people how great this show is. I think it's great. I think the guests we have on this show are great. Um, the panellists I have on this show are great. So if you enjoy it, please go to iTunes and, and just give us a five-star rating, man. It's that simple. It really goes a long way to help. Okay, I'm going to stop rant, ranting now. But yes, enjoy the interview. You know, I mean, I, I wasn't allowed to watch Doctor Who when I was little because my sister ruined it for me. She got too scared by it. And so that was it. It was banned. So I didn't get the joys of Doctor Who till Christopher Eccleston wow. revived it. Dude, that's yeah. depressing. Yeah. Mum and Dad. Um, what was I going to say? Yeah, no, so you were 30, you were like mega, yeah. like, pretty, that's pretty young. Like, I didn't, yeah. I only think, this is, this is how bad I am. I only just figured that out today. Right. Um, by process of like, well, yeah, Jay, Jay does look quite young, so it's like, Wow, what was that like, being like 30 and then, hey, you know, coalition? Well, yeah, it was, it was a big change. It was a big yeah. psychological change for the party. Yeah. And um, I remember, I, I remember there'd been like a parliamentary party away day two years earlier. And we'd had, we'd done that kind of thing where, you know, you all have that sort of forced fun and learning and simulating, you know, what would you do in these circumstances? And I love forced fun. Yeah, exactly. But but one of the exercises we'd done was we different potential outcomes of the general election and what you would do. And I remember yeah. I was in the group that was looking at a scenario where, you know, the, the numbers added up to form a coalition with the Conservatives but not with Labour and... Um, but otherwise, you know, there'd be a balanced parliament. And I, I just remember we kind of, you know, strategised it and we yeah, just yeah. went, this would be a nightmare. And then, of course, like, it actually happened. And um, and it took the, that five days of negotiation when we were all... I mean, you know what it's like when you've just finished a general election campaign. You know, everybody is exhausted. Yeah. And then we were doing these parliamentary party meetings at half past 11 at night over there in Westminster Hall in one of the rooms off it and getting these text messages about when the next meeting would be. Yeah. And, I mean, I wasn't even on the negotiating team because, yeah. yeah, obviously, women weren't allowed on the negotiating team. Um, but we'll basically... We'll come back to that later. <laughs> but basically, I mean, I really felt for the people. So there was, you know, there's four on our side, I think, four on the Conservative side, and then at a later point in the discussions, there ended up opening negotiations with Labour as well. And, you know, they, those people, they weren't even getting, like, the rest in between that, yeah. you know, I was managing to get. So, um, so yeah, it was, it, it was, a, it, it 
it's like a haze in a sense when you, you think back to it. But really coming to the conclusion of what you know what the right decision was, and I think it was the right decision to go into coalition. We made that call correctly. Um, but yeah, I mean that was that was a big uncharted step for a party. Well, so what was it like? I mean, I haven't written this question down, which is typical of me just going off piece. But what was it like? So like uh, seeing Nick Clegg and David Cameron in the Rose Garden. What was it like for you? Going, holy shit, we're going to be in coalition here, you know? So I or mean, we are in coalition. We obviously knew that before the Rose Garden, and I think the Rose yeah. Garden became an iconic image after it happened. Um, so it's not to say it wasn't noticed at the time, but at the time it was this, you know, you know, this is happening, this government thing is happening. And the bit I remember from the Rose Garden at the time was that joke that, that happened that was like mildly funny where, you know, Cameron had apparently said something about the Lib Dems and, and Nick sort of said, Walk, oh, did you really say that? All right, I'm off walked then. Walked away, you know? yeah, yeah. And, so um, come back, yeah. That so so that, was, um, that was the kind of bit that was kind of, you know, slight kind of Westminster bubble amusement. Yeah. Um, but, but I think the other thing is that the Parliament is often seen through the lens of the television to you know, outside of Parliament, when you're in it, you're not necessarily watching all the television coverage of it, so that's not yeah. how you pick it up and, and interpret it. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's just like, for me, when I saw that, uh, so a while ago now, pre kind of like any kind of political, like real obsession, um, for me, it was very much like, oh man, wow, this is great, here we go. I mean, Lib Dems, I've loved mm. all my life, man, we're gonna have something to do, something to mm. say. And then obviously, fast forward, um, yeah, it didn't pan out so well, but I mean, I've, I've definitely asked most of them MPs, uh, I think Tim Farron was the last one I interviewed post-general election this time around, but most of them, like, seem, when I asked them, you know, what, what was the main achievement for you in, in coalition, I mean, that's just a standard question, but I always find it brings out a different answer. Yeah. You know, what what's, what for you was so, that So, I mean, you could, you could you, you know, you've got that fabulous website that somebody created, What for the Liberal Democrats Have Done For Us, and, okay. you know, it updates, I think, every 10 seconds, and it's got, like, a different achievement from the coalition, and, it you know, it takes a long time to um, scroll yeah. through them all. Um, but, I mean, I would say the ones that feel most personal to me are the ones that I was most involved in as a minister directly. So the thing that I spent the most uh, time working on as a minister and hugely invested in was shared parental leave, which... Mm-hmm. I, I believe in in terms of being important for children to enable couples to choose how they share time off after a baby's born. Really important to help dads spend more time with their new babies, and that's yeah. also really important for gender equality more widely because we know that the unequal distribution of caring responsibilities is one of the factors which drives workplace inequality as well. So, so I think that is is definitely one thing. And then the other thing which um, was mainly banging my head against a brick wall in government, but at the very end I saw a chink of light and an opportunity because of Mm. the impending end of the parliamentary session and the desire of the Conservatives to get through a particular bill, I suddenly saw the chance to introduce gender pay gap reporting, which we'd been trying to do for five years and the Conservatives had kept saying, no, it just needs to be on a voluntary basis. But you know, with the election around the corner, did they really want to have that fight and publicly be taking the side of not having pay gap reporting? And I, I, you know, I calculated that they wouldn't. Yeah. And so I asked Nick if he was up for a fight with the Dories on it, and he said yes. And that we actually got that through, like literally, you know, days before Parliament dissolved. Yeah. Um, you know, and now 
that is coming into fruition. So by next April, all large organisations with more than 250 employees will have had to publish their gender pay gap. So that's going to be a change that you know you still get to see. Influence of Lib Dems in government, although it's two and a half years since we were in government, yeah. is, is still being felt. So who's going to... What is the Lib Dem press machine going to go and, and overdrive to try and get that out there? Well, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I've, I'm sure that the press office will work hard on this. And certainly at the various points in the last couple of years on that, I've done plenty of broadcast media and so on. Yeah. Obviously, the Conservatives have subsequently, you know, tried to claim that as their own. Um, and, you know, but I've seen Laura Liebert in the House of Lords, you know, standing up and pointing out that it was a Lib Dem achievement, you know. Yeah. So, so we do need to challenge that, but we can't expect other people to give us the credit. You know, no it's way. sadly not the way the world yeah. works. So we do need to, yes, at the, you know, in the media levels, but also through social media and our activists and grassroots mm. to just get these messages out there and be proud of what we achieved. Not pretend that we got every decision right, because we yeah. didn't. We made mistakes. We're human beings like anyone else. But that we did get a lot of the big calls right. And, and there's a lot that we should be proud of from our time in government. Yeah, and um, what about you? When did, like, so, when did it start for you? Because I know it's a really basic question, but what did you, when did you first realise, you know, hey man, I'm political and I want, I want to do something about this? So, probably when I was about 10, uh, maybe, maybe even younger. 10, well that's pretty good. Well, I mean, I used to, I mean, when I say political, I probably wouldn't have called it that. But, you know, I used to write in letters to magazines and things, you know, like Just Seventeen and uh, I think I even went to Smash Hits. I think I got Game Tip published in Smash Hits. That was slightly different. Well, we're the same age, more or less the same age. So mm. I, I remember Smash Hits. So yeah, like, it was great. Yeah. And I got a letter printed in Just Seventeen about a fashion shoot they had which had used fake guns in it. And I was like, you should be glamorising uh, guns. Um, did you ever, who, who, which neighbours heartthrobs did you fancy the most? Well, I never really got that hung up on Scott. Um, I mean, the, I mean, to be fair, the Scott and Charlene wedding was huge, um, but but I didn't really fancy Scott as Scott, but I did fancy Jason Donovan as Jason Donovan. Wow, that's very interesting. Mm. I think that you, maybe there's quite a lot of thought that's gone into that. What about well, what about Harold Bishop? No, really, no. really, that, that never was there. No, no. I loved Harold Bishop. Not in that kind of way, although, you know... Did he I not mean, die and come back? Yeah, he did. Because well, I feel like I well, know neighbours at one particular yeah. moment in time, and then, yeah, I, I, you know, I couldn't tell you. I think Paul from Neighbours ended up living in, in my constituency. What? Yeah, because then he appeared in River City, which is a kind of um, Scottish terrible. soap opera. That sounds awful. River City. Yeah. Is that about, like, is that about pollution of the Firth of Forth or something? No, no, no. It's about... I have to say, I don't <laughs> think I've actually watched an episode. I've seen clips. But it's, I, I'm, I'm not saying it's particularly a soap opera, therefore, that I would rate. And actually, I haven't watched soap operas for a very long time. But anyway, he well, was Don't tell Joey Tribbiani. Was he in a soap opera now? No, from Friends. Well, I know, but Friends, that was a sitcom, and that's, that's, that's different. That's Matt LeBlanc, that's, not, that's, his, that's his stage. Oh, no, no, I mean, I'm a massive Friends fan. Like, <laughs> yeah. literally, I've watched, I, I mean, I could quote a lot of Friends. I just don't consider it a soap opera. Are I you quite excited about the Netflix thing? Well, I feel like it's something I should know, and I've probably been living under a rock. Well, they they put all the uh, se- seasons on Netflix. So well, I mean, I, just... I, do you know what? I I had the videos, and I then had the DVDs. Wow. Of all the friends, and do you know what? Do you know when I first got together with Duncan? Um, this is your husband. He, right? Yeah, my husband. Yeah. He he'd like he was aware of Friends, but he hadn't really watched it, and he hadn't really yeah. understood the brilliance of Friends. And I was like, I want to share this thing with you. you know? <laughs> um, and it's just so funny and. I mean, I'm not sure if he was quite 
quite as excited about it as I was. But anyway, we agreed that the thing to do was to start at the beginning. Absolutely. And we literally watched all the way through. And I think, I thought he was just like wanting to make sure he was, you know, being thorough because he really enjoyed it. But I think it got to the stage where he just wanted to be absolutely certain that he had seen everything. So if yeah. any episode ever came on the television, he would be able to go, yes, I have seen this one. I know I've seen this one and we do not need to watch well, it. This is what we I'm finished it about. literally after we got married on our mini moon when we went away. We had the final like two episodes to watch. Well, that's quite funny because our honeymoon, mine and Laura's, we actually just started watching them together. Oh, wow. Yes. So there you go. It is. It's a commitment isn't it? I mean you've yeah. already made the commitment of getting married but this is a new kind of commitment <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. To, to watch every episode of Friends together. Yeah um, exactly. It's similar that you do sometimes when you decide it's time to watch West Wing again. You oh, know? I don't know about West Wing. That's, do you know I find that too um, intricate because I'm, I'm not massively dyslexic but I'm, I'm dyslexic on a level where it's like oh, even Game of Thrones I struggle with like plot lines. I mean I've, I've started um, doing the audiobooks of Game of Thrones and it is it's too much, man. Well, I, like, I read all of Game oh of Thrones, God. and it is oh, yeah? too, nice yeah, one. and it's too. I, I'd read it before I watched it, um, and um, get, well, get I think I, well, I think I started reading it, and at some point it started overtaking. But anyway, now clearly he's given up on the books. Um, oh, no. But there's, I mean, first of all, the books are much more complicated than the films. There's so many characters that sort of don't even appear and and don't do anything. Yeah, and then it's like, well, why has this person even been introduced? Yeah, so, it's so infuriating. Yeah, but I, I like with West Wing. I agree because they speak incredibly quickly, always yeah. while walking down corridors. Yeah, I always yeah. think it's fun in Westminster if you're like ever having a chat, like walking down a corridor, and you're just like this. Is you're a bit. quite. You've got quite a quick. You are quite a quick talker. Yeah, it's true. Well, yeah. West of Scotland, it's quite common. Yeah. Um, but um, anyway, so. So yes, talking quickly while walking down corridors in, in you know Portcullis House. I mean, it's yeah. not quite West Wing, but um, but one. but that's why I think it it, no, it benefits from a second or third watch. You see, yeah, okay. because you then kind of know what's happening. Um, and yeah, and Rob Lowe, yes, okay, Sam well, Seaborn was great. I'm I have to do it then, but I don't know. I'm still umming and ahhing. I mean, I, I, I'm still quite disappointed about. Um, the last season of um, oh my god, come on, Kevin Spacey, Robin, oh, Robin House of Cards. Yeah, House of Cards. Have you seen? You must well, have seen that. So I've seen. Oh, I think we watched the first season. I don't know if we got part through the second season. Do you know? It got to the stage where it's. I mean, it's really well done. It's just so dark and depressing. Yeah, it is. It is a bit, <laughs> you really uh, need to be yeah. in a kind of mindset. And normally, when I'm watching telly, I kind of want a bit of escapism. I mean, Game of Thrones, you know, is clearly, you know, hardly cheery, but it's so kind of fanciful, fanciful and yeah, you know, dragons yeah. and everything. Um, you know, even though there's a lot of good metaphors in there, but you know, it, it feels like escapism. Whereas yeah. watching a kind of political dark drama yeah. doesn't really feel like escapism from the day job. And um, so. So it's not like it's like Veep or um, oh that's great uh, yeah. yeah oh thick of it or anything which you know just has you in stitches and you have yeah. that kind of laughter therapy. How so, how do you feel? Can can you compare those two like House of Cards and Veep uh, not Veep uh, and um, uh, the thick of it? C can you see the yeah. the thick of it? You must. But I mean, House of Cards is obviously a little bit more ridiculous. Yeah, I think it, I think it's more extreme. I'm sure I, there, there may well be people who are quite like that. I mean, it, it it's it's quite dark on the nature of human nature yeah that's what i find quite difficult about it when you've got people who sort of have very few redeeming features um whereas the thick of it it's like cock up is it incompetence it's you know <laughs> it's 
you know, it's people being arseholes at each other, but yeah. but kind of sometimes trying to do the right thing, or the, you know, some of their hearts are in the right place occasionally, yeah. and it, and it's in that way quite realistic. Um, although, I mean, in government, there was just these occasions where you would just go, "This is beyond parody. That this is, you know, you could not make this up." And have you have, have you got any instances? Oh, I should I should have I should have written these down at the time actually, but I mean, they they because um, you you always then want to have some fantastic example, but you you just the things you'd be made to go and say and the, the excuses that would be given for things and uh, you know and the way in which government wouldn't have come to a decision on something yeah. really really simple. Um, or like initiatives that would then be seen to be a good idea, like, you know, let's do this. And, and the way in which the government, the, I mean, one of the things that I even occasionally have sympathy for, you know, conservative MPs on the government benches, when you just see it happening, you go, oh, I remember when that was us. And, yeah. you know, the government announces something. Yeah. It then, it's unpopular. The government then says, no, 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 we're going to do this, we're going to do this. And it gets all of its, like, backbench MPs to go out and defend it in the TV studios oh, okay. and all of that stuff. And then, like, a week later, it goes, oh, we're going to change this. So so it's kind of made them go and make that public statement. Yeah, yeah. And then it bows to the inevitable. And, and this happens so many times. You know, you've sent out the replies to your case for letters, you've oh, written your column for the local paper, and then the government just pulls the rug from under you because they, you know, they, they conclude that it's not possible to do it but after all. That must have happened a lot in the, mm. what I said, the general election just gone. I mean, Theresa May and the... Uh, social care stuff. So, social yeah. care. I mean, that obviously didn't take a week. That took about 35 minutes. Um, but it was a bit longer than that. There was still this whole oh no, nothing's changed. I mean, nothing's was, changed. They, 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 they sort of they, they, they haven't learned from what you kind of need to do. Is if you're going to do a U-turn, you just you know you should just do it really really swiftly. Yeah. Just be a bit shameless about it, yeah. and you know we got that wrong. We're yeah we're going to do it differently. Can I, I, before we carry on talking about Game of Thrones, but you know House Cards, whatever. Um, something that's really irked me and a whole lot of people is the um, Jared O'Mara thing that's just come out. Yeah. Um, and obviously, Clive Lewis was just on our show recently. Uh, big, yeah. big fan of Clive Lewis. Really like the guy. Um, so there's been like two, the, two of these, you know, kind of like um, unearthings, as it were. Um, Guido Fawkes, I think. Did he have them both? I can't remember. I think Not sure. Yeah. Quite possible. But how does how does this make you feel? Like, I mean, Nick, from from a Lib Dem point of view. Nick Clegg was ousted by the obviously the surge of Corbynism mm, and, yeah, yeah. and then um, O'Mara in in Sheffield Hallam. Well, look, I mean, the, just just on any objective basis, you know, are the people of Sheffield Hallam better served by Jared O'Mara or Nick Clegg? There was just no contest, and even before these revelations, there was just no contest. I mean, we yeah. lost a, a giant of Parliament when Nick lost his seat, yeah. and um, and and particularly in the context of everything that's happening with Brexit, you know, Nick's voice is so so missed um, in. in in Parliament, and I'm delighted that through his book and everything else, he is still playing a role in public debate because we need him to. Um, and you know, there will always be you know those cases where you you see brilliant MPs of different parties. To be fair, this is not just purely Lib Dem point. No, yeah. who in some kind of overall tide get swept out, and some you know a person is is elected who just can't yeah. fill their shoes. I mean, I remember the. You know, Robin Cook was an MP who just, you know, was amazing. Yeah, and, you know, yeah. his successor in Livingston, I'm trying to remember exactly what happened, but there was, I mean, there was scandal after scandal. And it just... He stepped it, it just, a rock, didn't he, eventually? Uh, Robin yeah. Cook did, but, I mean, his successor just, you know, just didn't even come close. You know, and it's that contrast is, um, you know, it's, it's more painful when that's the circumstance. Um, but I think, I think there's some positive stuff to take out of this. I mean, I think, first of all, 
you know, it is now becoming um, rightly something which has real consequences when these kind of entirely inappropriate comments mm. are made. Yeah. Whether it's online, whether it's, you know, face to face in person or on emails or whatever, um, on, you know, racism, sexism, homophobia and so on. Yeah. And that in itself is a positive thing. Um, there's a kind of, there's an element that, that kind of, Guido uses to sensationalise stuff that I sometimes think is quite double standards. I mean, I, I'm not sure whether he's changed his policy, but I do remember uh, in the early days of Guido's blog, mm. you know, he prided himself on not moderating the comments. Yeah. And that meant that the comments part of Guido's blog was rife with vile, basically yeah. vile um, images of sexual violence basically being described, you know, about yeah. female politicians. And, you know, he didn't think that was something that needed to be moderated. So, as I say, I don't know if the policy has changed. Yeah. But, um, uh, but some of these outlets also need to look at, <laughs> look at themselves in terms of uh, the, way in which, uh, the way in which they operate and how they um, perpetrate a wider culture that enables that. And so I think it's important that individuals take responsibility. But I, I, sometimes, I sometimes wonder if, if, if sort of in the rush to judgment people like to to sort of pin blame on some individuals without also um examining the structural problems okay yeah, so it's yeah. almost like you sort of consider that that there's a few kind of rogue people that are saying these things mm. rather than actually that society this, is structurally sexist and racist system, and homophobic yeah. and you know we really need to be addressing all of those things and recognizing all of those things as well as sort of calling out bad behaviour but yeah. we can't pretend that it's just like a few bad eggs it's not just a few bad eggs no. it's that we've all been brought up in this this kind of society that you know basically favours people who have white skin and means yeah. that if you you know yeah. happen to have you know something different between your legs you're likely to get more advantages yeah. in life yeah. so uh, yeah that that structural element I think is is still underexplored um, in people's kind of Oh, well, that, that's just ridiculous. That's yeah. appalling. Because some of the people that will be expressing outrage will themselves be guilty of, to sometimes a lesser extent, yeah. those same attitudes. Yeah. And that, I mean, I just chaired a meeting this afternoon of Liberal Democrat, well, about Liberal Democrat women in local government. Mm. And that was, um, that was a really positive meeting. We had lots of people there from across um, different council groups, some fabulous councillors, new councillors, people that have been there a long time. Um, I mean, it was 80% women in the room, despite the fact that a lot of men have been invited, which tells you something about how important they thought that issue was. I was delighted that Vince was there and yeah. listened to and, and contributed uh, concluding remarks to the conversation. Um, but, you know, actually, we've, you know, we need to look internally at this as well. You know, we, we can't look at other parties and say, oh, well, you know, they need to sort that out. Actually, you know, we've still got plenty of sexism and racism and, and homophobia going on in our own party, yeah. we also need to deal with. Yeah, no. I mean, it It just, I suppose it's been brought to light because of uh, Harvey Weinstein. Uh, you know, talking about an American producer is, is a bit odd, um, but he did come over and commit some of these um, acts as well. I mean, it was heart heartbreaking to, 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 to learn what he'd done to these women um, and to look at him and then think of the influence he held um, and some of the people that are standing up and defending him, it's not a shock at all that it's happened. And it's also not a shock that it happened in that industry. I mean, from your, I mean, there are people, I was listening to on a podcast today, um, 
I can't remember which one it was, but there, you know, there were people saying, you know, the uh, interviewer saying, well, were you, have you ever experienced any, you know, um, sexism or acts of sexism? And I mean, yeah, she was like, yeah, of course. Jeez, what are you talking about? What have you, have, you, have you ever experienced anything like, oh, come on, mate, leave it out, that kind of thing? Yeah. Like just all the time. Was it not all the time? But I mean, well, it's just like, you get I used mean, to it. it. I, have I mean, to be, it's, so, so yeah. the Me Too hashtag is is powerful because yeah. there is this invisibility of what happens, and um, it happens with different power structures, and so. You you know in gen, in, ter- in gender terms you know men are typically not on the receiving end of this kind of harassment and mm. um, these comments not to say they never are because sometimes yeah. they are yeah. um, and and it's also not always within a heterosexual uh, context as well yeah um, and in fact there have been some really interesting stories coming out in the wake of Weinstein about um, predatory homosexual behaviour within Hollywood as well oh, okay. um, and it's important I think that that you know that this is really considered in, in, in the round but you know there is a gendered element to this and, and and in the main many men do not see that and do not experience it mm. and so it's hard to to understand it from that very personal internalised way in the exact same way that it's harder for people with white skin to understand racism because yeah. we don't get you know when I read you know Nadia Hussain is one of the people I follow on Twitter and when I read or you know Fatima Manji when she talks about how someone's come up and yelled at her in the street because she's wearing a headscarf you know and you realize that's not yeah. something that's that unusual and and that that happens and that never happens to me or you know I'm a young white woman I've never been stopped and searched by the police yeah you know, how many young black men could you go to in this city and ask the same question to who would give that same answer yeah so so Within our own experience, you know, we, we understand the world, but we don't obviously see what other people's paths take them to. And so that's why it's important, I think, that, you know, women and those who've experienced sexual harassment, whatever their gender, you know, speak out about those things and about, you know, sexism. It's why things like the Everyday Sexism Project is so important, because some of these things feel so insignificant on their own that you think, well, I'm going to really make a fuss about that. You know, when I've been in this place and in a meeting and, you know, a meeting with colleagues who are parliamentarians and just shamelessly talked over, you know, to the way that you kind of are sitting there absolutely furious that that's happened. How often does does this happen to you? Well, I would say my colleagues don't usually do that. And this was a colleague from the House of Lords I'm particularly thinking of in terms of that that occasion. But yeah, yeah, I mean... Well, just a few weeks ago, there was you know, there was a conference call where there was you know there was there was an incident and it you know so it it does happen and in that occasion I called it out and actually after the call some of the other men that were on the call yeah. came up to me and said quite right too because yeah. that man is a bully and you know actually he doesn't just bully women he bullies men as well so so it is still you know it's it's still current it's still happening. Um, and but it's it's easy for for example men to not understand the the yeah. extent of this and that's why people speaking out is is so important and sharing those experiences and why it's important I would say for people also to seek out those experiences yeah. to actually do the asking and listening yeah and I mean I suppose for, for my end it it does feel like there needs to be a movement within the male community to really tackle this yeah. Hell, there might already be something that I've completely overlooked because I do do that a lot. But it, it does feel to me that um, 
you know, there is a lot of um, people um, not yet involved that are perpetuating the whole um, sexism, the, how, how rife it is, male and female, obviously, and that's the structure of society which you were talking mm -hmm. about, I suppose, that enables people to be like that. But yeah. how, would, how do you think the Liberal Democrats or yourself, Deputy Leader of the Liberal Democrats, how can you take that fight? So, um, so it's not an easy and simple problem to solve, but there are a lot of things you can do. And some of the things that you do, you sort of put in place uh, things that will kind of keep you honest, almost sort of things that will, you know, force you into particular behaviours. That's why I ultimately came round to believing all women shortlists were the right answer, actually, because I wanted us to get to a situation where local parties would go and talent spot you know, candidates from a diverse range of backgrounds. And in the end, that just didn't happen. Cajoling and encouraging, it just didn't get high enough, high enough up on the priority list. But actually, if you force them, because otherwise they're not going to have a candidate, then it becomes a, an inevitability they have to go and do it. Um, so I think things like that can be, can be helpful. Another example would be, and there's things that individuals can do. Um, I think it was Mark Pack was one of the people that helped start this trend at conference. And it was, it was literally only about three or four years ago to ask the organiser if you were being approached to speak at a panel event, a conference, um, is it an all-male panel or is it a diverse panel with men and women? Yeah. And if there's if there's no women on the panel, to refuse the invitation. Okay. You know, last time at conference, actually, one of the things that I did, I, th I started asking organisers, you know, if it was an all-white panel as well. Yeah. So, so I think there's things that we can actually do as <clears throat> individuals yeah. uh, about this. Um, and I would encourage people to, and in fact, the book that I've written that, I, that is published um, early next year is very much about empowering and encouraging individuals to take the steps that they personally can take to challenge something, um, to suggest something be done differently, to look around the room and say, hang on, are we having another all-white meeting? Right. You okay. know, or, or why why are there only two women in this room? Yeah. And who do we need to make sure we're inviting to this meeting next time round? It is, it, I suppose it is about putting that flag or the, drawing the line in the sand rather and just saying like, you know, Who's gonna Who's gonna come onto my side? You know, it's it, it's very, but I mean, it's just something that feels like it's been going on for so long. This debate, and it doesn't seem like it does take a shock event for things to change. Yeah. But is it going to? I don't know. Well, but, it can, but it won't do it inevitably. No. I mean, it, so so one thing that's absolutely certain is that it won't change just of its own accord. It won't just, there's no guarantee to things going in the right direction, to things always getting better in terms yeah. of uh, gender or you know, discrimination against people with disabilities or um, homophobia or racism. There's no guarantee. And it, I suppose it's also the little things, isn't it? Because actually getting to, into the, the mindset of, of, of the gentleman, uh, you know, it could be everything from uh, a man opening a door for a woman. Um, is, it, does a man then think overthink that? Is, it, is that act being so, misconstrued? So, I mean, I think there's a really easy way to, to think about this. Um, would you do the same for a man? Because I think holding the door open to someone is really a polite and a nice thing to do. It, it, it only feels a bit creepy if someone's doing it to you because you're a woman and they yeah. wouldn't do it for a man that was walking through the same door. Because that's got a different kind of mindset. It's like, I mean, it's just, so much is in the intention. You know, I've been mm. called darling and hen, you know, by train conductors on, uh, you know, the railway in Glasgow, mm. you know, all my life. Yeah, and actually plenty of them will say darling or hen, yeah. well, they might not say hen to a, a, a bloke, but, you know, they'll have the same kind of, you know, term, term of, affection. of endearment yeah. and affection. Yeah. And that's very different to a leery group of lads, mm. um, you know, totally outnumbering you when you're walking down the street, calling out something darling. It feels very different because the intention is very different. Yeah. 
I just think what I've been to see Southampton, uh, Southampton a lot over the years. I've only genuinely, I've only ever seen like two incidences of like stuff that's turned my stomach a bit, um, and both were sexist. Uh, Southampton fans cheering out, uh, shouting out to the um, away supporters. There was, was a woman in there. And uh, they were just shouting, you, you know, she's got chlamydia. She, and my wife was with me at the time. And fucking hell, I think it was our second date. And it was just so it's humiliating. Like, where have you brought me to? <laughs> it, yeah, it was really humiliating. And I think yeah. it is men in packs, isn't it? It's tribalism. It's sort of like, you know, you know what tribes, tribalism is like, geez, you know, we're looking at the House of Parliament well, right now. This is the interesting thing. Uh, there's a great... Um, author called Michael Kimmel, who I heard speak at the South Bank Centre at the Women of the World Festival. Um, yeah. And he's written a book, Angry White Men, and various books about masculinity. And his, his the argument that he, I heard him make was men, men are scared of other men, you know, because of this pack mentality, because they know what that's like. Yeah. So actually, that's why the forging alliances are important for men to tackle, say, gender inequality as well. It's, it's about doing it together. Yeah, so that's where the safety is. Yeah, I'm just seeing where everywhere it is. It's tiny little details. It's not always that big. But anyway, sorry. Mm, indeed. Anyway, but read like, that book. You'll find it more about. I'm going. I'm going. Do you want to plug it? Because I'll forget to. <laughs> so equal power is out on the first of February. Yeah. Um and uh, and literally it's being typeset. My final, final, final deadline is Monday. How so. long did it take you to write? Well, I wrote most of it uh, when I was out of Parliament. So I would say it was ninety five percent done it while I was out of Parliament. But I mean, I was obviously doing other things at the same time. I was, yeah. you know, running my own business and so on. But you know. You know, in terms of elapsed time, it'll have taken more than two years. I want to get back to that quickly, but before I do, talking about blokes and stuff, um, obviously um, Vince got won the election, won the um, leadership. Yeah. Um, I know there were a lot of people that were like, oh, Joe, we wanted her so badly. When are the Lib Dems not going to have a white bloke leading the party when do you think that will happen well i mean of course a precursor to that is to have a diverse parliamentary party <laughs> yeah right and it's we've all not done that. well exactly and yeah. so so literally this is the first election that we've ever got above 16 percent of our mps being women yeah um you know so so that's part of the problem that we're at we have no um, uh, well, uh, you know, we have for so much of our history had no ethnic minority representation in Parliament. Um, Leila is obviously of Palestinian origin. It's fantastic to have her in yeah. Parliament. Um, in two thousand and four, Pramjit Singh Gill won a by election but lost the seat um, the subsequent year. So, you know, we've it's really been very few and far between in that in that sense. So, it's politics as well. It's not just the Lib Dems. But we are so much worse, right? I mean, yeah. let's just you know shatter these myths that. That it's you know that that we sort of can't do anything about it, um, and that it's it's the whole system. I mean, we we like to say we're liberal and we just treat everyone as an individual, and we just are blind to the 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 inequalities within our own party, and we think we're treating everyone as if it's a meritocracy, and so often that's not what actually happens. If you listen to the experiences yeah. of women and, and minority groups, you know, in the Lib Dems, it's not as happy as these experiences should be. Yeah, it's it's quite. And I want to change that. That's one of the things I'm really keen to change. Stuff. So there you go, guys. As always, I hope you really got something from that interview. I certainly did. I, I, I really, really hit home actually being able to talk to Joe. Like I said, on a, on a really cool personal basis, like we really got each other. Really, really got where she was coming from instantly. It was a good vibe. 
And uh, yeah, so Joe, if you're listening, thank you very much for your time. It was very good of you. Um, and also, guys, we've we've got some really cool panelists coming up soon. We've got um, Dawn Barnes coming down for you, and she's going to be with um, Elaine Bagshaw, obviously Elaine, uh, mega mega panelist power um, from from months gone by, and that's next week. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I'm I'm looking forward to that. Uh, obviously, we'll probably be touching on the same subject as today. We'll probably deconstruct maybe a little bit of what Joe said in this uh, this week, this interview. Um, and then the week after, we've got um, a new panelist coming on board uh, called uh, a guy called Tom King. He's um, he's actually a pretty damn good writer. Really brought to my attention an article I've read of his. So I've, I've got um, him on the show. He, he's a, a left, you know, centre-left kind of kind of guy there. And I've got... Uh, and, and George, obviously, is coming on the show to with Tom. So that's that's coming up for you, man. You, you, you've got plenty plenty of stuff to, to look forward to. And, and thank you, guys, for your support this week. It's been, it's been really cool on, on Twitter. I've got, obviously, some shout-outs, man. You know, like Tom Turtle, as always, Steve Little, and Sam, Sam Campling, a new, new, new listener, uh, new on board. Always good to have um, new, new guys and dolls coming on board. And um, yeah, you know, look, guys, it's, 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 it's a growing project this you know when when I set when I set off with this I had no idea where I wanted to take it I just wanted to do it and see what happened so I'm really really proud of it and if you do feel like supporting it five star ratings on on iTunes is literally the best thing so instead of you know giving us money because there's no way you can unless you stop me on the street and give it to me in which case I'll say just buy me a beer um yeah uh you you can be really generous take for two two minutes out of your time and give us that give us that really really important rating because it because it is and I'll tell you what the competition out there is insane and some of it's absolutely fantastic and and rightly so some of it's amazing but if you do I'm just gonna just say you should probably if you do want other recommendations for podcasts I I think maybe give uh, Liberated a go it's um a, a, lib, a very very liberal Democrat podcast and they've got a a mega um, binge session going on with um, Vince Cable on, on their show. You can download those episodes, obviously, off off iTunes. And they're really, really like, you know, uh, what do you call it? Like a real forensic mind-picking of Vince Cable. And it's really great. And, um, yeah, if you can, listen to that. Liberated. That's the name of the podcast. You can find it on iTunes. And um, before you do that, yeah, just go straight to iTunes and, and review our show. That would be so and generous of you. All right, then. So, yeah, I've given you an idea of what's coming up in the future. And I hope you've enjoyed this week. So I guess all that's left is to say goodbye. Everybody.